this week on Red Dead Radio, were surprisingly mellow. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little scared. Are you okay? Hi, friends. Welcome to Red Dead Radio, the Red Dead Redemption podcast. I'm your host, Jared Petty. There we are. A little bit. Well, I'm kind of, kind of keeping it keeping it down a little here. Keep it a little chill. You gotta keep it up. Gotta keep it down. I got you. We going straight to the wild, wild guest. We going straight to the wild, wild guest. Yeah. Okay. I got you. And be honest with John Ryan. Been on the road a lot lately, so have you. Oh, my God. I'm so tired. You've been all over the place, I'm right? I'm so tired, Jared. What am I going to do? By the way, who are you? Oh, I'm John Ryan. Hi, hello. Yes, That's right. You may know me from such podcasts as Red Dead Radio, the Red Dead Redemption podcast. And also from Ye Old. Ye Old IGN, yes. Indeed. That's also, that, that's also true. That's a place where you work in, and make content. It is, yeah. Um, I work on our guides team, so it is currently September, something. <laughs> um, and that means we are about to fall full swing into the guides creation season, which means my brain is about to become a nice, hearty puddle of mush yeah it's that time when the uh, the early releases kind of come in you get the get get yeah. the hands on yeah, yeah, and start yeah. getting those guides so, ready for people uh, last so they week, can play their fun games in october spider-man uh for playstation marvel spider-man it's just a little game it's very independent you probably haven't heard of it yeah um we also have another very small uh, independent game called shadow of the tomb raider coming out this week oh uh, no. actually going into early access today just a quaint little ditty, that Just one. Just a quaint little ditty. It's also actually really good. You should check it out. But this is not a Spider-Man, nor is it a Tomb Raider podcast. No, indeed. This is Red Dead Radio, the Red Dead Redemption podcast. You say it so much better than me. Well, I've said it a lot. Yeah, I should have said it a lot, too. Well, you you should do the intro next week. No, I'm not doing that. I think it'd be fantastic. You'd be very good at it. You have a good radio voice. Better than mine. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I sound like Vicini when I talk on the radio. But, ladies and gentlemen, we're here to talk about the Old West, and we got a lot to talk about. because. So, uh, the reason I mentioned being tired earlier, John and I both been on the road a lot. John, you just yep. got back from Gamescom, then straight to PAX. I was at that PAX. That was a goof. Then down at Crunchyroll Expo, where I was doing a Dragon oh, Quest God, panel. Oh, God, you did do that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I went down there and did that. Good so Lord, we've, Jared, we've been hey. traveling a lot. But, uh, yeah, we just got back from PAX, where we did Red Dead Radio Live. We did. It was super fun. It was super fun. If you haven't listened to it yet, if you haven't watched it yet, I encourage you to. Uh, What's Good Games, Brittany Baumbucker, Christine Steimer, they're with us. We talked about Gun, finally. We did. We finally talked about Gun and the original Red Dead, and most importantly, Dying of Dysentery on the Oregon Trail. Indeed. I'm very excited about that. Actually, no, no, I changed my pronunciation after last time. Oh, no kidding. I guess I got visually Corrected. slapped in the face. You did. You got some looks there. Also, you learned I've, what squatting was on that panel? Christine demonstrated. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. that's true. I think you already knew what squatting well, was. Well, no, no, no. She, she corrected me because I had, I had mistakenly learned that it was deadlifting. Ah. Uh, because it's a fun time. We were talking about how Arthur was strong. Anyway, we had a He's lot of fun a strong that panel. man. I want to thank everyone that came to that panel. There was a ridiculous yes. amount of encouragement there. Thank you. One dude was dressed as a cowboy. Patreon producer Tom Bach was there. That was pretty it was awesome. Great. It was yep. super fun to meet Tom. Speaking of Patreon producer Tom Bach, I Uh-oh. want to thank Patreon producer Tom Bach, Stuart Ferguson, and Jonathan for making the show possible. Okay. Because without them, there would be no show. And if you want to back us on Patreon, you can do so. We do this for a living, so it's really, really helpful. I do this for a living. I don't know why you're here. Um, but you know I have nowhere else to go. <laughs> For a second, when you said, speaking of Patreon producer Tom Bach, I got really worried because the way that you said it made me think that there was some kind of terrible news coming. Oh, no, no, Tom Bach's the best. So I'm glad I'm glad you're okay. No, we got to meet Tom and his daughter. Yep, they were yeah. very, very sweet. Asked some super fun questions. I had us. a really good time there. But we have news. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the Red Dead news season has become, we are standing a bare month out from Red Dead 
Redemption's Almost. release. We Almost. have somehow managed to talk for 18 episodes previous to this about this upcoming. Well, there's been, they have run a really smart campaign. They've given us just Oh, yeah, they're super good at the slow keep looking draft. for. They really yeah. are. But now it's that time of the season for love. Yes, because we've got, what, six weeks left? Yeah, until yeah just over a month out. It's freaking amazing. So last week, just, uh, just after we recorded the last episode and got it posted, uh, Rockstar dropped a bunch of information about so, Dutch Vanderlyn's oh game. Oh, my God, there's so many people. We already know a tremendous amount about several of these characters. Yeah, and we're, those are the um, ones we're not going to go over here. But we, I, what, we've what, got a nice page here. Uh, top Jared went ahead because he's super studious uh, and very organized and printed out I, all the images for us with all. Of these anybody can cut and paste. But what I want to talk about here. So Rockstar actually released these twenty-five portraits, twenty-five quotes. I love how they did this. They, they showed a portrait, a quote, and then a like a one-sentence bio. Yeah. And the way I wanted to approach this tonight, because uh, I, I think this has already been talked over quite a lot this Uh-oh. week, I wanted to take a little bit of a different take on it. I wanted to focus on the quote. I wanted to take that picture in the quote and take what we can draw from e- about each person yeah. just from that quote, because that's a really clever marketing approach. It's very hard, in my opinion, to be disciplined in marketing. It is always easier to say more than less when you're trying to sell something. That's very fair. I think it's interesting, too, because when you look at it, at, at the sort of history of what we've seen of both the uh, the press previews, but also especially from the trailers, they're really trying to get us to understand that this gang is not just like a mechanical function of the game, that it is a group of people who you are going to be spending, you know, the lion's share of your time in this game with. And the thing about this is like, this is essentially, this, this image and this quote is basically your first impression of these characters. Of each of these people. If you're at a party, you've just met 25 people who have each walked up to you, shaken your hand, and said one thing at you. And this is so smart because it gives you an idea of the scope. It helps you understand this is a large group of people. But beyond the scope, that they're an interrelated group of people, that this is a community, that this is a big part of the game. And like, I've I've run into a few of these people both in in the preview that I was fortunate enough to partake in earlier in the spring. Um, Also, we've all run into some of them in the trailers. You know, there's uh, Lenny and and Micah and Sadie. Um, But there are some folks who we straight up just have never really known more about aside from they were in a couple of big group shots. Yeah. And I am super intrigued to know more about them. And so they give us this quote and they let us fill in the gaps with our brains. They don't yep. tell us too much. And I like that. And that leads to fun speculative games. So what John and I are going to do, we're just going to go through all these characters and talk about them. I would love to hear your predictions about these characters, which you can send to mail at reddedredemption.com. That's mail. No, not reddedredemption.com. Don't send it there. Mail. I mean, send at, it there. You could. But then also CC us. Yeah. Mail at reddedradio.com. That's mail at reddedradio.com. Send us that. Let's talk about these guys. First off, Arthur Morgan. I don't know anything about this guy. Who the, who the fuck? Who's Arthur Morgan? None of us know. I literally you know, wrote an article called that. What? Who is Arthur Morgan? That was the title. That was actually okay. a title of a So we're not going to linger on Arthur. So we know who Arthur We have is. talked about Arthur. We're thieves in a world that don't want us no more. I, so here's the thing. Like I, We're not going to talk a whole lot about Arthur, but I actually really love that quote for a lot of reasons. Um, I have a really particular passion for the structure of written sentences based on how they're said. Yeah. Like I really love like sort of grammatical collo- colloquialisms. Um, like the, like, you know, that notion of like, they don't want us no more. 
Like, yeah. grammatically, that is a nightmare of a sentence. But I really love the way that it rings in your ear. And I really appreciate when people just write it down correctly. Yeah. Well, it um, says something about the man. It says, that here's a human it, being that's articulate in thought, but exactly. not necessarily educated. Which is, And I think that they do an exceptional, exceptional job of that with the rest of these as well. Yeah, they're good at that. I think good dialogue writers. But we're not going to talk Arthur Death. But before we move on, there is one thing I want to note. I have no idea if this means anything. It's just something I noticed. Most of these characters, 23 of the 25, holding something. And the ones that aren't seem to have something that stands out prominently. Yeah. I just want to point that out. It could just be it could just be Ricky Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hands. It's more interesting <laughs> to have somebody <laughs> holding something in an image, you know. But, I think I think it gives you sort of an idea, you know, as as with anybody, like with first impressions, like if you first notice someone from across a room, yeah, you see how they're standing, you see if they're holding anything. Like your yeah. first impression of me would be wildly different. If I was holding, you know, a bouquet like, of flowers or a martini glass as opposed to a mug full of beer. A mug full of beer. Like, it, it, you're... My impression would be that you're a more discerning drinker than you are oh, on course, regular yes. episodes. I, I like what we call in the business, swill. Ah, okay. I like the idea of you just standing there with a bouquet of flowers wherever you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I Look, here's the deal. You're a fancy fellow. I absolutely love a bouquet of flowers or a bouquet. If you want to mail us flowers, we'll take them. I'll absolutely take flowers. I have happily received flowers to my desk at IGN.com before. By the way, again, uh, because I love to interject when in the middle of topics, but for those of you that sent things for the studio, uh, I don't think I've addressed this yet, and I should. Thank you. The studio is almost done. We will be in there very soon, and your things will be hanging and pointed out properly and appreciated then. You guys sent flowers. Please don't don't think that that I don't appreciate these things and we're not going to use them. Uh, We are very, very soon. This, I'm not going to say this is the last episode we're filming in here, but it might be, at least for a while. I refuse to go. You know I live here. Yeah, that's it's not fair. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, no, I think that's... In- I didn't know that. That's incredibly sweet of all y'all. Yep. Um, thank you much, Lee, and kindly. Okay, so this guy, Arthur, anyway, he's holding... He's a just sawed off double barrel guy. shotgun. He's some guy, and he's our main character, and we know about that. And we've talked about Arthur. If you want to know more about Arthur, please listen to the first 18 episodes of Red Dead Radio, the Red Dead Redemption podcast. Right. I mean, I feel like... I think it's just an episode. Episodes. I, I, I tripped on my route. It's like, it's I okay. did say episodes. It's like, okay. episodes. Um, I, I legitimately think we probably have talked about the potential depth of Arthur's character for at least 11 or 12 of those 18 episodes. All right. Um, by which I mean the 11 or 12 episodes that I've been on. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Sadie Adler. What's the quote, John? Uh, nobody's taken nothing from me ever again. And once again, the colloquialism to the... Uh, I mean, again, like they do that really well throughout all of these. There are, there are a bunch. Like I think all of these are a... Some version of like a, a colloquial idiom where it's it's very indicative of who this person is, where this person is from. Um, like we'll get to it in a minute, but one of my favorite in this bunch is Sean McGuire's. Mm-hmm. Um, because as an Irishman, I really appreciate it. We'll get to that later. So Sadie, nothing. Nobody's ever. No, nobody's taken nothing from me ever again. What's been taken from Sadie? You think? Oh, probably lots. Yeah, being a Western, we have that that tradition of of Josie Wales dumb. We have that tradition of of revenge. We have the tradition of being hurt. There's always the notion of loss mm-hmm. whenever a protagonist's type character or a supporting character who is on your side uh, is an outlaw. You know, I mean, obviously, this is a whole gang of outlaws. You know, the concept of outlaws to the end is is constantly ringing through throughout all of Red Dead. Um, and, you know, Sadie is is very much, you know, I feel emblematic of that. We've seen her in the trailers be very 
I'll say action oriented. Yeah. Uh, stabbing someone cleanly through the hand. Oh, I mean, we, we see her right here. She's wielding dual pistols. Right. I mean, so that's the thing is, like, you know, about Sadie, we know a few things. A, she is very fiercely uh, capable of protecting herself. Yeah. Um, and both from this quote, the art style, and what we've seen of her already, uh, we know damn well that she is not someone to be trifled with. So what uh, that sense of protectiveness, I assume we're going to find out about the background there on her and where that comes oh, from. But if yes. you, So before we move on, talking here about the band, I, what this keeps reminding me of more than anything else is almost a Robin Hood-style inspiration. I'd love to talk yeah. to the writing staff at some point and find out oh, how much God, Howard yes. Pyle they Rockstar, went into on this. if you do happen to have any fingers in the pie of watching this, that sounded super weird, and I'm sorry I said it like that. Um, yeah, send us send us your writer, not like in a box or anything. No, well, I mean he could be we, in a box I, or I she. Would, I would be uh, super intrigued okay. to, to speak with the writing staff about it. But I'd like to know, yeah, because I mean we know Robin Hood and his merry men. We know there's people that go off and form a sort of an outlaw society. Well, um, you know, I, mean, I wonder I where the inspiration. We've are. known from day one that Dutch's band, and you know, Dutch I think is the very last person yeah. on the on the list of all these folks. But like Dutch's band is not. It's definitely not a one-to-one of Robin Hood, but there is that sort of, it's like the twisted fairy tale version of that. It's mm-hmm. this very estranged take on what we know of the, what I'll call the lovable rogues. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are certainly people in this group who are most certainly not lovable. Um, Dutch being chief among them. Yeah. He's a, a real piece of and shit. And yet they all love boy. Dutch, it seems. But he's, he's enigmatic enough. He's got plans. He, they've all got, excuse me, the drive to make a better life for themselves. So -hmm. necessarily, I don't think it's, you know, steal from the rich, give to the poor. It's more steal from the rich because the rich don't deserve what they have. Yeah, I think that's more. we deserve a better life. Well, and this was a period of time. I mean, this is the age of the robber baron in America. This is a time when rich people, I mean, not particularly difficult from, they're different from today in a lot of ways. But this was was a time when there was even less protection of the American ordinary person than there is now. absolutely. People were taking advantage of that system and using vast wealth to wield tremendous control, of political power over people's lives. I mean, one, lives. Of, one of the best tropes of all Western media, whether it's movies, games, TV, comics, mm-hmm. is you know the corrupt governor of whatever territory you happen to be in. Where it's you know even even in ridiculous comedies like Blazing Saddles, like yeah. one of one of the f- most ludicrous westerns ever made, but also one of the most traditional in a lot of ways. I grew up um, near Biltmore. In Western North Carolina, Biltmore is effectively a castle built by George Vanderbilt, hmm. um, who was a railroad baron, uh, a robber Uh-oh. baron. But a guy literally just built himself a castle in the hills in Western North Carolina, and was like, "Here I shall dwell on my manor lands." You know, I literally can do that. It would be very easy to look at a world where that was happening while people were starving. And I can't see any parallels between then and now. Never, not at all. Number three, Sean McGuire. Sean McGuire. Um, so Sean's quote Sean's quote is just leave sorry just leave it to me I can talk a dog off a meat wagon is that Sean's voice you've seen him in the yeah Sean Sean is as stereotypically Irish as you could possibly get even more Irish than Irish I mean I think Mm. the character Irish yeah no I know uh six and one half dozen of another okay I wonder Um, because I had forgotten just how how Blindingly stereotypical, blindingly Irish. Irish yeah, blind, I mean, so his the, name is Irish. The context so. that I know Sean from is during the demo that I watched. Um, yeah. He was telling this story about when he first met Dutch and his band. Um, they'd essentially gotten him drunk enough to not realize that they'd stolen the bullets from his gun. Okay. <laughs> um, 
so, you know, whether or not Sean's actual character mm -hmm. uh, turns out to be like the almost cartoonish rendition of an Irishman. In I certainly hope not. I, they'll, they'll go. The they'll go I, I, I feel like there is a, a there is a place for that, but I don't necessarily know if that's going to be a chief member of the gang. I, I, um, I don't see them leaning in on that. I, I, I feel like they want you to care about these people. There's going exactly, to be Exactly, and that's the whole the thing. And, but like, and this is the thing where it's like, to me, Sean is, you know, I know virtually nothing about him aside from yeah. the sort of attitude that he espouses. But this quote specifically makes me care about him because it rings very, very true. At, if you can't tell from the name, fact that my name is John Ryan, I'm very John Irish. Patrick Ryan. If my so here's here's your a, name is John Patrick Ryan. My name is John Patrick Ryan. Technically Jonathan, but I super don't like that. But were my mother to have kept her maiden name, I would be John Patrick O'Brien Ryan. Why I love Sean and why he resonates with me is because this is essentially. A, a parable for something that I grew up my entire life hearing from one member of my family or another. Okay. And that is, um, the hell is it? Irish diplomacy. It's the art of telling someone to go to hell in a way that they're make, looking forward to making the trip. Huh. I've never heard that phrase before. Really? Yeah. Oh man. All the fucking is, times. Was that something you heard in Boston or? or in that, that, so yeah, I grew up in Massachusetts. It's a very yeah. Irish, Irish, what the hell is the proper like, I don't know. Irish there? Anyway, a very Irish-centric uh, community. Um, I've never heard the term Irish diplomacy, but the, when I read this quote, the first place my mind went is uh, face from the A-team. Um, yeah, 100%. That's the, that's the thing. Like, if it was if it was a and d party, they'd be your bard. Mm. I mean, that's th this is what, to me, the charismatic face of an operation would look like. I, I still like the the fact that you're you you and John Ryan have the same name from from uh, Tom Clancy novels. I think that's amazing. Oh yeah, well I do. I, te I, I considered going as going by Jack in high mm -hmm. school, but I already have an uncle Jack, so it would have been a whole weird thing. Yeah, but he's um, John Patrick Ryan. He, that's Patrick the weirdest Ryan. part for me because like I didn't know he was John Patrick Ryan until oh, yeah. the who is the who is the middle. Jack Ryan between now and, and the last. Well, let's see. There's there's Affleck Ryan. No, no, no. Starting from the, starting oh, from starting the is Baldwin Ryan. No, 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 no. Not starting from the from the past. I mean, starting from here, from John Krasinski working backwards. It was the one before John. There's Krasinski. Harrison Ford Ryan. There's no, 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 Affleck no. Ryan. No, it's not. There's... It's not the movie. It's the it's the most recent movie Ryan. I don't know anymore. Is it Chris Pine? There've been a lot of Ryan. I think it's Chris Pine. Was the was the latest Jack? Sure, let's say let's say it's Chris Pine. It's so one of Chris's. Could that, be Chris so Hemsworth. John, could be could Jack be Ryan Shadow. Recruit. Liam Hemsworth. Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. That's okay. the movie that I'm thinking of. All right. That movie literally starts. My name is John Patrick Ryan. I'm just yeah. like. Well, so is mine. I don't like that. That throws me for a fucking. Gwyneth loop. Paltrow. That was the last Jack Ryan. Gwyneth Paltrow. What? That's who it was. I, I would. Here's the deal. I know you're joking. I would love to see that. That would be awesome. That'd I would 100 percent okay. watch a gender bench uh, Jack Ryan. Absolutely. Absolutely. I Anyways. Revan Swanson. Uh, what's his quote, John? Uh, I had real suffering and I lost everything. My vocation, my faith, and my family. Okay, so here we have it. So, uh, Here's a character that we've never seen before. Never really. before. Yeah, we Sean, may have seen him in the background of a couple of shots from trailers, but yeah. we know virtually nothing about him. And Sean then, was carrying a shotgun in a combat position. This guy holding the glass. Looks yeah, drunk. Yeah, looks, looks like looks like a flask to me. Yeah, is it a flask? Or a I glass? believe it's a glass flask. or a bottle. Well into well into a bender. It looks like this is not coffee. This I don't man's know. Drinking. I don't think I would say bender on that one. I would no? say constant state of mind. First off, as you pointed out earlier before the show, he looks like Ron Swanson. A little bit. Okay. He he uh, he's got a little bit of that of that sort. Of, a the mustache does not do any favors against that. And his name is Reverend Swanson. 
which R- is kind of awesome. R. Swanson is definitely there's a comparison to be made there. I don't think that's like an, a rock star Easter egg. I don't either, but he it's does a comparison of... that I happen to like because I really like Ron Swanson but a lot. Um, this guy, we haven't seen him before. This appeals to me especially because of your history, I, because of my history. Yeah. I am an ordained minister. Um, I mean, technically, I am too. That's a good point, but yeah, I pastored a church. You're for actually, years. you're yeah. actually, yeah. Right. I've mean, actually, you didn't uh, just do it on no, the I've, internet. No, I've I've baptized people. I've you I've earned delivered sermons. Yes. I have preached several hundred you're, times you're in right front of people. Preacher, yeah, and uh, and the idea of somebody. So I left that vocation. Right. Um, I didn't leave it for dark and sinister reasons. Of course not. But I did leave it, and it does fundamentally affect you. Yeah. Uh, this person saying, I lost everything. I lost my vocation. Well, that's true. Once you're a minister and you're not a minister anymore, it's weird. Mm-hmm. It just is. And that's that's a longer topic than I think we have time for here. But the fact that vocation's the first word, that's thoughtful writing. That's somebody that understands what, how a job that's not just a job. A vocation is, is something that is very, 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 very fundamentally tied to who you are as a yes. person. Yeah, there's a reason that I do little podcasts about how we should all get along and things can be better, and it's yeah. all. And it's because I may have left the job, but I never quite left the vocation. Yep. Then he says, "My faith." Okay, so the minister that's lost his faith. This is one of the great storytelling archetypes, regardless of the religion. Yep. Doesn't matter if it's Christianity. Doesn't matter if it's Judaism. Doesn't matter if it's Islam. Doesn't matter if it's Hinduism. Yeah, or the faithless can, preacher is one of the most tried and true and also one of my personally favorite archetypes. Right. Um, and, then and then finally family. the family. We don't know about that. Well, I feel like this tells us one of two things. Either Reverend Swanson has suffered an impossible tragedy or he has made an incredibly horrific mistake. Mm-hmm. One of those two things I feel is happening. Or see all of the above. Or all of the above, <laughs> yes. Or he made a uh, horrendous mistake that resulted in an impossible tragedy, mm-hmm. um, which is entirely possible knowing uh, sort of the, the rough world of the late 1800s. So this minister fallen from grace is here traveling with a band of outlaws. And when we say band, again, we talked about outlaws earlier, but this isn't six or seven folks living. This is a community. Right. It, it, is a, is a, it is a right and proper almost town. Yeah, this well, is Sweekenden. Uh, like this is Sweekenden too. This is this is strong stronghold. What is it? Stronghold from uh, Dragon Quest Inquisition. You know, this is uh, this is your family. Okay. This is your group of people that you go yep. back to between things. Exactly. This is this is your home. And I'm excited. This is your home. The people are your home. And and, and so I mean that's kind of the thing that that, that a lot of games don't do these days. Mm-hmm. That I'm really excited to see how is it's handled in Red Dead Two. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've got fucking pages, so I don't want to go on forever. But no, it's okay. this notion of, you know, because I mean, I very much like I was born in Winchester, Mass. I grew up on an island off the coast of Massachusetts. I lived in Boston for many years. I lived in L.A. for many years. I now live in San Francisco. I consider many places to be my home because of the people who I know and love there. Yeah. It's not about where I'm necessarily born. It's not necessarily where I have lived the longest um, I mean, granted, you know, now home is a very specific thing because of where I have built my life. Well, the army definition of home changes over time. Exactly. Like, yeah. I would not say that my home is a place. It's my home is the people who I care most about and who I know care most for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's very much what this is. And I don't feel games have done that super well. Uh, no, not often. Uh, so it's, again, it's hard I, to do well. I mentioned Suikoden 2 earlier, which I is my favorite example of it. 
Yeah, that's okay. I, I'm a I, heathen. No, I, I Swig It In is one of those games that I slept on when it was new, and then when did that come out? Uh, that's a PlayStation era game, and it made definitely them a, missed that. Yeah, one. and uh, it's a wonderful Konami RPG. Okay, uh, Great. that was Back done before a, their Konami of today. Yeah, before they were Konami of today. And uh, the second installment in that series is up there in like the Chrono Trigger level of great RPGs. All right, it's I'm one it. of the all-time greats. Incredible cool. music, incredible combat system, incredible story. But what several things makes Wicked and Two stand out. Okay. First, it's very much like Red Dead, as we've heard it described, in that it is a story where you are a player in a larger world. Great, love those. It's not about you changing the universe. It's about you being part of where you are. Right. Uh, it, unlike most RPGs, there's not some world-threatening enemy that's out to destroy everything. You just exist. You, no, you're just in the middle of a very localized, morally ambiguous conflict mm. with people you love who are on different sides, and you're just trying to be the best person you can in a very difficult situation. Hmm. Um, that's, I'm into it. Yeah, it's for, second. I will never play that game, but I'm into the concept. Yeah, second, you assemble a group. Of friends that gradually grow into a community and then literally become a town. Great. Uh, 108 allies Good that God, you recruit over time. Yeah, not all of whom are combat allies. Well, some yeah. of them are just like, hello, I'm the town baker. But you look, somebody's going to make that bread. And that's the idea. You go back to that town and there's always something going on. And I feel like, and there's always, and it's not just like, oh, here's a distraction. You care about what's happening there yeah. and how what you're doing is affecting it. Exactly. I feel like that's what's going to go on with the game. I mean, and, and, you know, as we look through the rest of these pages, like, I'm really curious to know how those people will operate and, like, who those people are who aren't necessarily just combat friends or who aren't necessarily just the camp's cook. Like, you know, we, we've known Pearson, who is in a few pages from now, um, is the camp's cook. He's... There's, there's a bunch that we know of him and from what we've seen and what we've yeah. experienced in, in both uh, in these updates in the trailers uh, in our demos but there's other people um like this dude yep josiah trelawney josiah trelawney so looks a little bit like a magician which i'm super into wearing gloves holding his hat if again holding this top hat analogy he'd be our sorcerer 100 which i'm super into because top hat mustache gloves okay i'm into it sorcerer's origins i want to hear about him um and he is uh and he's a fucking hopeless romantic which i love yeah what's the quote how can romance ever be silly? It's all we have. Okay, hopeless romantic. This dude, I like him a lot. Yeah? Uh, but I, I, that's very much how I feel about the concept of love, relationships, sex in, in certain ways. But like the, the concept of romance or, or love is super important because he's right in legitimately saying like, that's honestly all there really is in this whole thing thing that we're doing here human relationships and affection for one yeah another. exactly you know i mean you can have animosity towards people but really yeah. you're just wasting your time doing that why so would you do want to do that not to exactly um and it's yeah i, I know literally nothing about this man aside from he is impeccably well dressed he is very well dressed he's wearing gloves he doesn't quite but he doesn't like have a, a particularly i don't know he i can't tell if he's a gentleman a gambler i'm a so i'm like a little concerned by him, yeah, because he kind of looks like the 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 stranger from Red Dead One, hmm. the basically Satan, oh, interesting, or or you know the Reaper or whoever you want to call him. Um, I don't think that they're one of the same person, obviously, uh, but I do get that sense of like a man doesn't wear gloves all the time. Maybe it's a devil finger gloves. Well, we don't know if he's wearing them all the time. He could just have look. Them 
my assumption is if you see them wearing this particular outfit at their introduction, you'll see them wearing this outfit a lot. Hey, I think it's to tell us something about the character, definitely. Yes. I mean. So a man who wears gloves by choice consistently, he lives, we know that they live in the woods. Mm-hmm. There's something nefarious about that. What about that? There, I, well, my, he is my, in my a My suspicions gang. may be misplaced. That's fair. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's a reason he wears those gloves. Now, maybe it's like a yeah. V for Vendetta situation where he really burned his hands super really horribly bad. And so he wants to cover up his hideous disfigurement because it so, impedes his romance. So why is this romantic in a group of outlaws? And I want to use that term outlaws instead of criminals or even gang members. Uh, outlaw is a word that, that its origins it have, hey, who exists beyond the realm exists of the outside law, the realm of the law. Yeah. Right. And, and not necessarily nefarious at all, but certainly a social outcast. And yeah. the West historically, we, we haven't talked about this a tremendous so, amount, is a place where social outcasts very often did find life after life. You course. and I go into a place in our, our lives where certain things happen. We may never recover in this civilized world. Mm-hmm. But when there was a West, a there was always some place to go. Could yeah, it was rough. You it was dangerous. Go. It was lethal. But it wasn't the hell of your own making that you may have necessarily come from. Exactly, a world could it's, a world would not necessarily follow you there for a while. It's funny to me because I feel like there are a couple of potential explanations for this. I feel like we know based on the other people that we've seen in this gang, Bill Williamson, Dutch, you know, Javier Escuela. Even John, to an extent, because we know he did really terrible things. We know that there are inherently bad people in this gang. Yeah. There are, when you have that band of outlaws, sure. Maybe some of them are outlaws and only the definition of the word and the fact that they exist outside the law. But there's also the other type of folks that that attracts. Mm-hmm. So potentially that may be what we're looking with, what we're looking at. In the case of Mr. Trump People that or, maybe don't feel like they have anywhere else to go, but not this counterculture. Not they have anywhere else to go or are in part of counterculture. Like, I mean, there's 100% there's the chance that Mr. Trelawney here basically just got the, the equivalent of the scarlet letter from his hometown and had to go. Okay. Um, you know, maybe he was into some proclivities that the rest of town may not have super been okay with. Well, who doesn't love a good proclivity? very fair but there's also the entirely potential possibility that he's not a super good dude maybe he uses those well, gloves to strangle people well i mean there, there's the other end to think about with this a lot of these people are holding guns in these pictures and he's not and he's not but but, but even, he kills motherfuckers with his hands well that's it even if he's not holding a gun though these these are people that are living their lives by the gun so, and ultimately, that does. I mean, yes, I understand. Authority also has guns. Yes, but here, here's why. Here's why the romance quote for me could be a double-edged sword. Okay. I love the idea of him essentially being almost a poet, mm-hmm. like this hopeless romantic who has, for whatever reasons, ended up with this band of outlaws. But there's also the sort of more nefarious meaning of that, where someone uses this sort of idealized version of romance to cover up atrocious behavior, Mm -hmm. which is something that we see very much today. It's something that we know was definitely a tool of the wicked back in those days. Yeah, I've I've read Silence of the Lambs. I mean, and and I think about, I don't remember who made the quote, but somebody said about Hannibal Lecter once, uh, I think it was on VH1's I Love the 80s of all things. Uh, Was it Hal Sparks? No, 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 it wasn't. But she said... uh, John Leguizamo. She said, if... Henry Winkler. (laughs) If you met him at a party, 
you would want him to like you. Yeah. Um, and there's and, this. And, and so that's the thing where it's like, I, I feel like there could, Trelawney could be this very genuine, mm-hmm. very self-effacing, you know, romantic individual, or he's a fucking monster. Mm. And I'm super curious. Like, here's the thing. Both of those are interesting character options to me. And there, again, there could also be secret option three that, they're all there together because characters right. in, in Rockstar games do tend to have that kind of, even the most virtuous characters in Rockstar, Rockstar games usually have a kind of a shadowy nuance to them. Well, I mean, that's that's sort of the one thing that they really love to do is create these sort of moral ambiguities. Mm-hmm. Like, it could, it could be both. He could be a completely virtuous romantic poet who has also committed atrocities in the past. Yeah. Like, lots of people. Lenny Summers. Lenny Leonard. Living free out here like this. I wouldn't have it any other way. Yep. Okay. Lot to unpack here. So first off, holding what looks like either a Henry or Winchester rifle. I think a Winchester from the length of the barrel, but I'm not. I'm going to go ahead and sure. guess you're right on that assumption. Uh, but then again, I also don't know guns super well. Looking so. at the weapon, well, by 1899, you wouldn't see a lot of Henrys anyway, and and that's a carbine length weapon, so that's probably Winchester. Um, suspenders, uh, but this is our our first non-white dude. Yep. Uh, so far on the list here, first person we haven't uh, haven't seen that's not a white dude or lady here. Yeah, who's who is a person of color. Um, I think the quote could be something that is taken a little too on the nose by mm-hmm. some, um, especially given the time period. It's only thirty years or so after the end of the Civil War. Um, yeah, it'd be 34, 34 years after the end. Of Civil I, War. What I, what I like about Lenny and I've I've mentioned this before Lenny is a character who in the demo that we saw clearly is all about this notion of freedom for not just for everybody but also fairness for everybody yeah um you know in the demo that we saw he was one of the first people to sort of jump to Bill Williamson's defense when everyone was kind of shitting on him rightly so Bill's a fucking idiot but he made the point that there was this sort of double standard between the leadership of the gang, Dutch, Bill, uh, Dutch, Arthur, uh, and the rest, and sort of the rank and file yeah. guns for hire, like Bill, um, who may not be the smartest guys on earth, but they're there, they're doing their fair share as best they can. Um, and Lenny was really a proponent of making sure that the little people were, or little minded people, were spoken for. Yeah. Um, no that everybody how. was getting equal treatment, exactly. uh, even even if their actions were not necessarily being the warmest or best for everybody around them, they were still being addressed fairly. In exactly. Uh, yeah. So yeah, as, as I've said many times, I like Lenny a lot. Um, I'm. It's yeah, gonna and, be really hard for me to not call him Lenny Leonard. Why is that? Because anytime I find anyone named Lenny, I just automatically want to call them Lenny Leonard or I, Carl Carlson. Okay, I, I have nothing to say about that whatsoever. All right, that's fair. But yeah, and I wonder, I don't know about the on the noses. I suspect, again, we, we are going to find more nuance uh, to that. Because I mean, if there's a, freedom is a, if you're in an outlaw gang, freedom's going to be of utmost concern in so many different dimensions. Accurate. You Very know, true. when you're a person that's that's literally under under the knife, under the noose, or going to be locked up, freedom's important. But when I lived in Japan, one of the things I learned about law that I didn't understand before living there was that... In our society and a Japanese society, and I, I suspect in most societies, mm-hmm. there's a tremendous difference between social law and like legis- and legislative yeah. law. And I didn't realize how powerful social law is. 
Uh, in Japan, a lot of things are completely legal that most people would never, ever consider doing. Like what? Because of the social consequences of what that would mean. For example, things they might commit in the workplace. If they're subjected to something that's considered a socially acceptable behavior that we might regard as abusive. Mm. Um, it may be illegal to subject that person to that, but they are very likely to take it because of the social stigma of standing up against it. Well, you saw Agresico, right? I did, yes. I know exactly. No, I feel like I know exactly what you're talking about, but I'm mm -hmm. not going to be not bummed out by it. And I'm not going to be not bummed out by it. And if we were just talking about Japanese society here, that'd be one thing. That's a whole other podcast. That's, catch that later. No, what I mean is that very, very, very similar things happen in our culture. Yes, yes they do. And in many, many in, cultures. In, Different both for better and for much, 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 much worse in some cases uh, in very different ways. Yeah. And so I think about freedom. I imagine Rockstar is going to explore social and legal dimensions of freedom. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, that's, that's sort of the thing is like, you know, Rockstar does not shy away from diving into, you know, social commentary. No, they kind of leap into that, actually. And, 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 and Red Dead's never had the, the – it doesn't have the on-the-noseness that – GTA has. They're very different in character yeah, than that, I, but they're I, still going to engage it. I appreciate what the the sort of, you know, social commentary and the, and the, and the comedy that they put in that front. And even some of the times when they take it seriously in, in the Grand Theft Auto universe. But I really like what they do with it in the Red Dead world. Um, you know, in in the original Red Dead Redemption, you have Nigel West Dickens, who is <laughs> this complete charlatan, an absolute you know, snake, literally a snake oil salesman. Yeah. Um, but he's someone who, the way that he operates and the way that you interact with him easily represents, you know, the businessman of the modern age. Yeah. Um, the same thing with politicians and the governmental employees, like representing the government of today. The The social commentary in, in the Red Dead universe, to me, is far more preferable because it's far more interesting to see how one draws the parallels between that age and today. I think almost it would be fair to say that one is parody and the other satire. Um, that there, there's yeah. a very... Uh, the, and there are distinct differences between parody there, and satire. They're super... I feel like rock or that Red Dead is satire and that GTA is more parody. Yeah, it's, it's the difference between Mel Brooks and Monty Python. Very good. I like um, that. You know, I, I, I love them both for different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but something about Mel Brooks with a paddle ball is a little bit less serious than, you know, the life of Brian as a whole. Well, let's play chess. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Mary Beth Gaskell. Mary Beth Gaskell, indeed. Gentlemen, I think I've got something good. Now, Mary Beth has won my heart because she's holding a book. Okay. You not nerd. holding a gun, not holding you a hat. Nerd. Mary Beth's holding a book. An open book to her chest there. What's that book? I don't know, but she's reading. I'm gonna get really close to it and see if I can tell. I occasionally quote unquote deer hunt when I go to my in laws in Kentucky. And when you say quote unquote, do you mean you actually go hunting for deer or you go and you I get up early in the morning. I'm staying with my in laws. Oh, you uh, go hunting but you don't you don't kill anything. I load my rifle. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a, a fairly decent deer rifle I keep out there. I go out to the woods early in the morning. I climb into the deer stand. Mm -hmm. And I sit and watch the sun come up. And I read Poe. Um, or Thomas More. That's actually an impossibly adorable mental image. And I do that. really great. 
I do that until I the sun comes up. I can hear a harmonica in the background. It's all very strange. And then I come down from the stand, go back to my in-laws, like, no, no, didn't, didn't see get any. Didn't today. get any today. Yeah. Uh, That's and, how I am when I go fishing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the beach. I'll set up a rod. I won't really put any bait on the hook. I'll sort of half-acidly cast it out to sea, and I'll just sit on the beach and just, you know, watch the waves for an hour or two. And again, we could have gone with the bio here on Mary Beth, but I like her book, and I like that she's got something good. Is she the planner? Is yep. she the scout? Is she... What do you think? I feel like, based on just these factors, what we see, yeah. I feel like she's sort of the... Uh, if we're looking at like a modern heist allegory, she's the hacker. I'm a hacker. I'm in. I prefer to be called a hacker. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a, it's a Unix, Unix system. system. I, I know this. this. Um, okay, you know what? When you look at that 3D environment she's flying through, to be fair, the file structure that's over every one of those little icons is, in fact, a Unix directory. So they're not entirely off. Look, here's the deal. They get it. But why? No, why would they use a 3D why? directory system? Exactly. Because when... it's the future, Jared. Well, yeah, it's but the in the future, novel, it's just like text. Because if you're running something on Unix or FreeBSD or Linux or Berkeley BSD or any of the rest of them. Look, fucking Sam L. Jackson was using MS-DOS 3.1 to fucking hack out Dennis Nedry. And all of a sudden, GIFs showed up. No, wait, was it DOS? Screen. I thought he was still there in Linux. Oh, wait, no, because no, Nedry's working on a Mac. That, no, that's Which what, in and of itself, that's what I'm the idea that there's some like that's, 80s look, hat or 90s hacker This is not a Jurassic Park podcast. That is going to be another show that we do in its entirety. Uh, uh, uh. You didn't say the magic word. Uh, uh, uh. You didn't say the magic word. Please. Uh. God damn it. Please. I like Mary Beth Gaskell. Yeah. Because I feel like if this were a modern heist movie, she would be the hacker. Okay. Uh, she's the person that comes back to you and says, hey, I scouted this out a little bit. Their systems are pretty easily hackable. Yeah. This is an easy score. We'd be fucking idiots not to do it. And if you don't do this heist, you're a fucking idiot. No, I like that. She's she's a character from Sneakers. She's Possum from Donut County. She's, go. yeah, this is, this is pretty. I like Good Sneakers. Donut County pull. Oh, absolutely. Well Donut County's great. If you didn't play Donut County, you need to play Donut County. Check it out. It's a really wonderful little indie story. Yeah, BK um, is the hero. Uh, I'm stealing this from Twitter. But BK is the hero we need and deserve. Um, I, I like there. that one a lot. All right, so yeah, I, I and also the fact that again, articulate gentlemen. I think I've got something good. Like there's there's yeah, less I mean, colloquialism there. There is. I kind of feel like there's that uh, potential for bodiness hiding just below the surface. Yep. Um, that I always love. Anyone who reads, anyone who reads has, has a potential, potential, except George Plimpton. That's a little over my head. I'm sorry. That's above my pay grade mentally. George Plimpton? Yeah. Oh, you know George Plimpton. He's Maybe the, I do. I don't he's know. He's the masterpiece theater guy. He sold on television. I was never. I was never a Ken a Burns baseball. Guy. No. No. I would know. Why would I? You know you, what? You like baseball a lot more than I do. So there's the highbrow. Let's head to the lowbrow. Uncle. Your favorite there he character. Is right there. What's he, his quote? I like Uncle a lot. I don't know if he's my favorite character. He's in red long johns. He is in red long johns. He's holding literally the mug that I don't have on me at this exact moment. And a shotgun. Which I feel poorly. Mug and a shotgun. Um, he already looks ancient. So here's, here's the thing, though. This quote actually does remind me of a very good friend of mine. Okay. Uh, and most of my work ethic through high school and college. Don't tell my parents. Uh, people call me lazy. I'm not lazy. I just don't like working. There's a difference. What's that difference, John Ryan? It's, it's exactly what he says. Laziness is... The inherent 
in the inability to be proactive. Yeah, laziness almost, pr- okay, sort of. Laziness prompts action. It prompts action to avoid work. Yeah. Laziness prompts innovation. <laughs> How do I get so out here, of this? So here, here's what I'll say about this. And this is why it reminds me. So my yeah. very best friend from back home, closest thing to a brother that I have on this planet, um, says said this to me a long, long time ago. Laziness is just a dirty word for efficiency. Oh, I like that. Right? Because if you're the, if you're quote unquote lazy, you will find the shortest distance between two points to complete something. I am very lazy. Likewise. Yeah. Not in the sense that I'm bad at my job or I'm negligent. Oh, I don't think you're lazy. I think no, you're very hardworking. Yeah, but I am lazy. I'm legitimately lazy. You just don't like working. No. There's a difference. <laughs> so, anyways, the point is, laziness is you have to actively try to not do work. That's the key. Okay. Now, I believe laziness can be a boon if you take it as I do to basically in uh, in gender efficiency. However, uncle, I don't think that's the case. Okay. Um, people call him lazy. He's not lazy. But he just doesn't like working. And don't get me wrong. Me fucking too. Like, I had my first day off in probably about six and a half, seven weeks yeah. last Friday. Yeah, and I, was, I actively did nothing. That was me last Wednesday. It was so good. It's so good. When you've been working for a long, long time and you're just like, you know what? This is enough. I'm going to take a day off and I'm going to choose to do nothing. I'm just like, no. Like life slows down. I literally sat on the couch for eight and a half hours and played Spider-Man. It was great. That's a good day. It was a good day. It was a very good day. My copy of Spider-Man just arrived yesterday. Oh, I still haven't played the Spider-Man. Enjoy it. You play that Spider-Man. You spider that man. I'm going to spider that man up. Do it. I am. You Parker that Pete. Um, I did, however, buy my copy of the original Spider-Man, Bionic Commando, or uh, Top Secret, Resurrect. The Resurrection of Hitler for the Famicom, uh, which I was... Wait, 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 wait. Stop fucking... Where's the big red button? Stop the presses. Okay. No, 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 no. Are you saying that there is a video game based on the Val Kilmer movie, Top Secret? No, I wish that I were telling you that. Well... Why would you phrase it like that? Because the game is called Top Secret. Then why is it but not, it's not the Val based Kilmer on the Val game? Kilmer movie? Why does it not feature an underwater Western barroom fight? That is a very good fucking question, Jared. That why sequence doesn't is amazing, it? by the way. That there, there's movie. the best Western sequence ever, right there. No, it's not. Look, let's let's be honest. No, it's the not. underwater bar fight I is adore, amazing. I adore that movie. It is not. No, it's not the best Western sequence ever. Come on. No, look, it's all it's all good. I'm doing I'm doing I'm doing the, the point is, glass. if you want to make a top secret Val Kilmer video game, let's figure out a way to secure his license, and I will try and help you make that video game because it is something that I would like to play. I was speaking of the NES classic, based on the not very good Capcom arcade game, converted to the mind blowingly wonderful NES platformer Bionic Commando, known in the United States as Bionic Commando, as a tie-in to Commando, an earlier Capcom game, but known in Japan as Top Secret, The Resurrection of Hitler. I am so fascinated. Where you play a swingy dude who fights Hitler, and at the end of the game, you blow up Hitler's head with a bazooka. And on the NES, his head explodes, his eyeballs popping out of his head. It's pretty amazing. I am he calls so you fascinated. A da- he calls you a damn fool. By the filing cabinet system that is your brain. No, no, man. This is, this is, this is even an obscure game. This is, this is a game that, that most of us have played. Okay, here's the deal. You go ahead and you email Red Dead Radio. Is that it? Mail at Red Dead Radio. There it is. Mail at Red Dead Radio.com. I'll never remember that. I'm terribly sorry. If you know 
of Bionic Commando or Top Secret, The wait, Resurrection wait, of Hitler. Is it subtitled that? Is well, it it's, Bionic Commando, colon, Top Secret, colon, The Resurrection of Hitler? No, in America it's called Bionic Commando. In Japan it's oh. Japanese, Top Secret, yeah, I The thought Resurrection you were talking about Hitler. two different video games. Well, well, the American version, they, they take the Nazi stuff out of the American version. But, they, but Hitler's still in it. They just changed his name to Master D, which Jeremy Parrish once described as the evilest rapper ever. But it's still Hitler's face, and you still blow his head up. And the Nazis are pink, and they don't have Nazi imagery, but they still have eagles, and it's real weird. Tilly Jackson. Jared. Tilly Jackson. Most of us grew up hungry and scared and alone one way or another. That's a very sad statement. It is. Um, Most of us grew up hungry and scared and alone. One way or another. It's the one way or another that, that makes it interesting for me. I mean, again, this sort of tracks back to what we were talking about with Lenny, where this could be a very on-the-nose portrayal of a character, but I don't believe that it would be. No, I think when she says most of us, I don't think she's talking about about people in general. That, but that's what I'm saying. Is that yeah. is That's what, to me, makes it more interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's that notion of... Yes, I may, as this particular character with this particular backstory, have had a very different experience from you, but we all sort of understand the same things. Do you understand hunger? Yeah. Do you understand fear? Oh, yeah. Do you understand loneliness? Very much so. I feel like of those three, hunger is probably the least experienced one that I yeah, have because I've been very fortunate to be in you know the middle class of America for the majority of my life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I've, I've rarely known real hunger. When it comes to hunger. checking one's privilege. Yeah. Uh, but, the other, but fear and, and aloneness, we can yeah. understand. And hunger remains a problem in America today yeah. and was perhaps even more so then. It absolutely was more so then. I mean, it's still despicable the levels of it that we see now, but this, this is not, you know... Red Dead Radio, the Democratic Socialist podcast. No, but I do think I, I think that transcends politics. Uh, the idea that people are hungry. I think. I mean, here's the problem, that. though. It doesn't today. Today, oh, it does not. Let us. Okay, I'm gonna go. Cry yeah, no, no. We're we're just gonna jump ahead. Javier Escuela, bring me Javier oh, Escuela. Oh, Before we get to bring you Javier Escuela, no, I, bring I him to me. That segue. Tilly, one of the only characters not holding something. Yeah, as you mentioned earlier, everyone seems to be holding something except for Tilly, and I feel like that's. I don't know why. Everybody else has got I mean, either I, a hat, a weapon, something. Tilly's not holding anything. I don't know why. I mean, I feel like if we really want to dig into imagery or symbolism that may not be there, um, there's the fact that Tilly's strength comes from herself and not a gun. Well, Tilly's got... The artist's depiction of Tilly is powerful. Uh, and I'm not trying to be goofy there. I mean, no, actually, Tilly, when Tilly looks at you, she looks right at you uh, in this picture. Yeah. It's a, not everybody... Some of these folks are foesing... Posing for photos. Wow, that's really bad. Posing for photos. There we go. Some of these folks are posing for photos. Yeah. But she's not. Javier Escuela. Bring me Javier Escuela. If we have to fight, we fight. If we have to run, we run. If we have to die... Oh, wait. No, I read it wrong. If we have to fight, we fight. If we have to run, we run. If we must die, we'll die. But we'll stay free. Mm Mm-hmm. We met Javier for a very, very brief slice of Red Dead we Redemption. We did, yeah. He was pretty much there, and then he was dead. We meet him in a storeroom. We throw him in a cell, maybe. And he oh, gets, no. Oh, no. See, I got him hauled off. Oh, good for you. I murdered the shit. You murdered him? Oh, okay. No, no. Oh. He, you can get him hauled off. John was uh, not a forgiving man in my playthrough of Red Dead. Okay. Um, it, would just, it was just easier. Okay. Um, with... 
With Javier, I mean, I feel like that scene in the storeroom really is very emblematic of, of who he becomes, but also we see the seeds of that here with him. Um, you know, this, this whole notion of we have to fight, we fight, if we have to run, we won, you know, we'll have to die, but we'll be free. It's that concept of doing whatever it takes to see tomorrow. Um, you know, obviously in Red Dead 1, or Red Dead Redemption 1, he very much tries that to take that tack of pleading with John, of fighting with John, yeah. of trying to appeal to John's sensitivities. And, and he's trying to survive. Exactly, and that's the key. Where it's not necessarily because he actively just super loves lying to somebody. It's because he knows that there are one of maybe three or four ways that this whole situation can end. And Most of them are not good for Javier. Exactly. Um, so see, seeing you know, sort of where... Again, one of my favorite notions of things that tell us about Red Dead Redemption 2 in Red Dead Redemption 1 is that scene uh, where he says to John, like, oh, come on, man, we we're brothers, we we're family. And John says, yeah, we we're family until you and Dutch went crazy and yeah. then family didn't mean so much no more. And again, I'm really curious to see where that goes, especially because if this is the quote that represents Javier in 1899, not 1912, it's a very curious turn, I feel, that he takes between in, in those 11 years. What does go crazy? Years. For a group of people that are existing outside of society, for people that have become effectively modern-day merry men of Robin Hood that are living out in the edge of things that we know are being pursued across the American West by encroaching forces mm-hmm. of law and organization mm-hmm. that are, themselves are motivated by largely corrupt yep. uh, factors, what would be defined as going crazy for somebody who's in the middle of that. That's got to be pretty nuts. It does. I mean, I, I feel like John saying went crazy is sort of less about Javier and Dutch really changing than it is John having sort of an epiphany about who mm. he was and who they were and the fact that that relationship could no longer continue in a viable fashion. It's um, going to be interesting to see how this game reframes what we think we know about these people. Yeah, I'm super curious to see it. I'm also super curious to see it how we, as a new third party, watch that from, not the sidelines, from the middle of it, but also, I feel like Arthur will likely be a relatively neutral party Mm -hmm. in this group. Oh, interesting. Um, You know, we've talked about how you can engage with almost everybody, how you can live this life. I would be surprised if we see Arthur take, not not because he's necessarily weak-willed or because he doesn't have opinions of his own, but because he is so conflicted between what he sees happening and the life that he's already known. Yeah, I'm a little worried about, I mean, John left somehow. I, th- I think John leaves because of Arthur. Yeah, you know, I've said it before, Arthur. I'll say it again, that moment at the end of the first trailer when Arthur's, when we hear Arthur's voiceover basically say, you know, when this, when the time comes, you got to leave and don't look back because this is done, this is over. Yeah. I I uh, I will a hundred percent bet money that he's talking to John. In Does he moment. stay to the bitter end? I feel like he has to. <sighs> That's rough. Yeah. Well, I mean, Karen. Life is hard. Karen Jones. Now, first off, the name Karen. Karen Jones. I love the name Karen, but the name Karen's been ruined for me ever since the Nintendo Switch release. If I hear the word Karen, I see the girl going to the party with the Switch from the Karen ad. Um, I got I got nothing on that. For me, I just think about uh, Megan Mullally on Will and Grace. Oh, there's that, which too. is almost worse 
because that means that I, I mean I've heard Karen talk and she doesn't sound anything like Megan Mullally. Not at all. But at the same time, like I a hundred percent would think it hilarious if all of a sudden a patch released at day one and she's just like, oh honey. If that was her for the rest of the game. Okay, now I, I've just gone Parks and Rec now. I know, um, right? I, okay, wow. I have and done both of those things. Yeah, I, I'm just Talking seeing her. meat dress, <laughs> wiggling around her butt. Jesus. Megan Molly, in the off chance that you happen to watch this show, I adore you. <laughs> Freaking amazing. Running scams, robbing banks, screwing over the rich and horrible. Rich and horrible. Yep. I assume she's equating those that, that those are the same people, not two groups. Yes. No. Well, there's no comma there, so they have to be the same. The rich and horrible. If Karen were someone to use the Oxford comma now, we would uh, know that she was referring to two different groups. I do love the Oxford comma. I love the Oxford comma. It's an Oxford comma, buddies. There's a wonderful uh, comic, if you haven't seen it, about uh, the Oxford comma differentiating between, uh, what is it? There's, uh, it's uh, three different people at a party, uh, strippers, mm-hmm. Stalin, and Hitler. Uh, but when you say it without the Oxford comma, it just becomes two strippers that happen to also be Stalin and Hitler. Have you not seen this? No. It's delightful, and I'm sorry that I've ruined the punchline for You're you. You're on a different internet than I am. I'm on a very different internet than you. Karen Jones, running scams, robbing banks. Okay, so Karen, pistol in hand, uh, robbing banks. So the the fun thing is, in that case, we've actually watched Karen rob a bank. Right. Um, Karen, you have. I have, yes. Um, Karen is, well, I mean... You've sort of seen Karen rob a bank in some yeah. of the trailers. Um, pardon me. Karen's functionality in bank robbing, at the very least in what we've seen, um, she's sort of, we were talking about the A-team earlier, she's sort of the face in that yeah. one. Um, she is the point person. She'll take uh, stock of what's happening inside, and then she'll choose a, a path of action uh, depending on what you want and also what the situation may call for. So in the demo that we saw... Uh, she chose to either play sort of the lost, uh, in from the wilderness, lost girl, mm-hmm. uh, or the drunken floozy. Naturally, we kind of went with the floozy because it's always hilarious. Um, and she basically serves as distractions for you as okay. you're robbing banks. Um, but I feel like this, the quote specifically, and, the, and what we've seen of her, what we know of her, um, and the image that you that is paired with her as well, um, is is that she's all about. She knows what the outlaw life entails. She knows what it means. And she's all about it. She's in. Yeah, she's she's in it to win it. I feel like if we look at other characters like Sadie or, I mean, even like Arthur to a point, who are sort of haggard, they're getting over it very quickly. They just want a normal-ish life or as normal a life as they can make for themselves. Karen loves it. She's like in the thick of it. She, that's the feel you she, get from her? Yeah, that's the vibe that I get off of Karen, that she'll always... If the gang were to stop being a gang, she wouldn't know what to do. Jack Marston. Young, little boy Jack Marston. Also holding something. In this case, he's got a stick. He's got his little suspenders. Jack Marston. Where's his, his hoop? Where is his hoop? Where's the be? boy's hoop, damn it? It might be out of the frame. I hope it's just like rolling around in the back of these hills. So there's Jack. He's part of the game. There it is. Technically, yes, Jack is part of the part gang. Part of the game. Yes. Did you catch the bad guys? That's his quote. Did you catch the I bad guys? This, tells uh, this us far more I about love this so much. The rest of the gang, uh, and specifically John, Abigail, Arthur, and Dutch, than anybody else, uh, than Jack himself. Um, the the notion that you know, I mean, we we know that Dutch recruits members of his gang who are young, who are um, impressionable young mm-hmm. men with very often without direction. And women, it appears. And women, case. yes. Um, 
with Jack, we sort of see someone who's just started here already um, and is automatically sort of, I don't want to say indoctrinated, but kind of indoctrinated by the sort of legend the the gang has created about themselves and around themselves. If you grew up in an insular community yep. that was literally outside the law, moving from place to place, outside of connection with the rest of civilization, you would believe what you are told. I mean, I feel like that's, again, like potentially some of the best social commentary that we'll see in Red Dead 2 will likely come from the place of how the gang interacts with Jack. Morrison. I agree. Yeah. Um, he will be our surrogate in a way. Or, or his can, reactions will be our contrast point. I'll put it that. He will be the fulcrum that. our reactions he, he, move on. I feel like I he will be there to remind us yeah. that what we are seeing happen, what we are choosing to do, yeah. are regardless of how much how we may justify them, yeah. they are still screwed up, morally atrocious. And have consequences. They are affecting yes. this child because there is something wrong with Jack. By the time we see Jack oh, yeah. in Red Dead. Something's up with Jack. Something's, something's up, up with Jack. Jack. Yeah, something's sorry, up I'm with sorry. Jack. Yeah, something's up Sorry, I'm sorry. I feel badly. All work, no already. play have made him a dull boy. It's Well, just... dull in certain sense of the word. Yeah. Listen, they had crow problems in that farm. All right. Corn, it was rough. They had a hard time. But no, I mean, I... I blame those crows for the death of my father. <laughs> I really wish that that was the story at the end of fucking Red Dead 1, where it wasn't that he was angry at Edgar Ross. He was just angry at those fucking birds. <laughs> that was the That'd so, be the stupidest game ever. So we've got... You to, killed my paw, birds. You killed my paw, birds. Now it's your turn. Birds killed my paw. How do I keep them from going into the barn? All right, we got, we, got to stop. we got to move off here. This is all being edited out. Oh, come on now. Leave my bird conspiracy theory in. How dare you put down my bird thoughts? Abigail and John. Abigail and John. Abigail like can, Roberts. But I mean, do we know was she officially Abigail Marston? I mean, that I mean, she was married to John, sure, but like, we did we ever get the know. official like, yes, she is Mrs. John Marston. Her quote TM. If they so much as put one bruise on him, I swear I'll bring the fires of hell on them myself. Who's them? Is them the gang? Is them the outside world? Is them Dutch and Javier? I feel like is it's them... whoever those boys were, what that were holding him hostage in trailer number two. You think so? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Um, wait, trailer three? Mm-hmm. Trailer three. That was the one I was thinking of. Sorry. Saddlebag um, over the shoulder, pistol tucked in the belt. I, I feel like the imagery plus the quote is what this tells me, just looking at this one still image is that this woman is ready to bail on this entire endeavor at a moment's notice. And mm-hmm. the, only re- the only reason she is still there is because of Jack and John. Yeah. And, because, and not because of Jack, because she can take Jack with him anytime she wants. She didn't know where else to go, you think? No, it's because John won't fucking leave. Ah. And she loves him so goddamn much, but he is so fucking blind. Do you think that's what it is? Yeah, of course. Do you think she sees it before he does? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, that's 40-foot writing on a 30-foot wall for her. Okay. That, like, I, I feel like the second she met Dutch, she was a little bit taken aback. So why'd she go with him? Because there was a life there. Mm. Look, sometimes if you yeah. have we'll do things three with, options yeah. and they're all fucking terrible, you take, you take the, the bad least, one that's least the bad. least terrible of the three options. That sounds familiar. Right? For more on that, read my autobiography. 
Oh, buddy. John Marston. And guess, guess about all I got now. Oh, about all I got You can do it. I believe in you. It's doubts. Doubts and scars. And so sort of following up on that, you know, I feel like that is very much the John that we run into at the end of his time mm-hmm. uh, in this gang. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel, I feel like there's a lot to be said for Rockstar's animation team based on what we saw out of that trailer moment where he's on his knees, he's got an arm around his throat, he's got freshly stitched scars. Because you, you, it's a rare thing when you can see a character in a video game thinking. And I feel like they did that really well in that moment. Yeah. You see Arthur considering his options as Dutch sort of apathetically looks out the window towards what's happening. You see John very seriously wondering how he got to that point. Yeah. And I think after that moment happens, because we know he lives, that's where this sort of idea comes from. Because in this image, he's already got his scars. We've seen in trailers him with his scars more fully healed. Um, I mean, realistically thinking about it, it, it sort of looks like Valentine, that area that we saw in the demo, mm-hmm. may be the place in which that altercation takes place. Seems like, like it, yeah. I would be somewhat surprised if that was not fairly early in the game. Yeah? You think we're going to see that I, I feel like, because there's always, if we didn't, it would be like watching a Batman movie before Bruce Wayne's parents get killed. <laughs> like, That's an excellent comparison. It starts, like, so Gotham, the TV show Gotham, yeah. for example. You're, you, the second you meet young Bruce Wayne in that show, you're like, I know what happens to you. I know. And yeah. then it's nine to ten episodes of what the fuck happens to this kid yeah, the, them. the best. Like, I'm glad you're bringing this up. The best prequels... Um, are about recontextualization. Yep. The best prequels take something you think you understand and radically alter your understanding of what took place. Yep. And they do it in creative and interesting ways. And I think that's what we're going to see in this in this product. I've thought a lot about that. Um, you watch The Good Place? I do, actually. Yeah, okay, I like so the show a lot. You've watched the second season then, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, so one of the things yes. I like about The Good Place is how its second season, despite being a sequel really is largely built around recontextualizing what you saw in the first. Yeah. I in, don't think I've finished that season. I oh, think I've watched it. probably the first four or five episodes. Oh my gosh, it gets so good. The, the best part of The Good Place is so the, the second half of the second season. So the last thing we're going to cut right here because potential spoilers yeah. for all of you who haven't seen it. We're back and John Ryan magically has a sandwich right. now. He's He was reluctant because he thought it'd be gross to talk about a sandwich on the show. It's in his mouth right now. I don't want to just be chewing into a mic like an asshole. You know, I love when people eat on podcasts. One of my favorite things. Do you? I do. Do you love it? It's very natural. Do you love the... Well, of course it's natural, but do you just love the unabashed tone of fucking chewing? I just... I I'm think... Chomping on sprouts and turkey and bread. I, I mean, who doesn't want some delicious sprouts and turkey and breads? Look, they're delicious foodstuffs. I would kill for bread right now. I haven't had bread in so long. I forgot I know, what it I tastes know, like. I know, what. Are we line, are we centered on the frame here? Look at the frame here. Let's say how are we doing? We're fine. All right. Look, you could stand to scoot in a little bit. To be yeah, honest. Here we are, scooting in here a little. Look at you go. We had to move the camera when I was doing that. Anyways, you should totally watch the Good Place. Also, NBC, you should totally give us money for plugging your shit. Absolutely, and you should also talk about Leopold Strauss, mm. who says it's a nasty world out there and it's catching up with us. This is my favorite of all the quotes. Really? Yes, okay. I like that. I'm it's a that. nasty world out there and it's catching up with us. Leopold Strauss. Old, bookish. Huge fucking nerd. Yeah, got the glasses on. 
not just some like, hello, I'm some rugged dude out on the frontier. Well dressed, got his, he's got two things in his hand. He's got a big old book that looks like it might be an accounting book. Mm-hmm. And he's got a big wad of cash underneath that in his hand. And I love that he's got the big wad of cash. That makes me happy. Who is this guy? Is he the banker? Is he the bookie? It would is make he sense the money if man? He was, I mean, as weird as it would be for a gang like Dutch's to have to have a bookkeeper, I could see it. I don't know. I kind of like the idea. No, I'm not saying I don't like yeah. the idea, but I'm saying, like, I can see it being the case, and I can see him, I mean, fucking look at him. The only thing he's missing is the green visor and the Dixon two, number two, Dixon Ticonderoga number two pencil. Okay, you went Dixon Ticonderoga number two pencil there, and I'm very impressed. Why? Because the fact that you know what a Dixon Ticonderoga, now I there can't it even say it. Say it ten that, times fast. You can't say it. Now I was supposed to say, say Dicon once. Radish. I can't say it once. I Dixon Ticonderoga number two pencil. Dixon Ticonderoga number two pencil. Dixon Ticonderoga number two pencil. That's very impressive. I've only had three beers tonight. Don't know how you do it. <laughs> anyway, I don't know much about young Leopold here or old Leopold. He's here. not young. Come on now. That's an old man. Yeah. That's an old man. Um, I like the idea of Leopold being the bookkeeper for this because it, it is once again, much like Lenny, an indicator that the gang is centered on things being fair mm-hmm. for people. Because if you have a bookkeeper, that's to make sure that someone's keeping an accurate tally of what's coming in and what's going out. And you know that the only thing it's going out for would be scooter supplies, except for divvying it up among everybody else. Yeah, I, I mentioned Howard Pyle before. I grew up reading Robin Hood. I love Robin Hood. I've even written about two-thirds of a really terrible Robin Hood novel that no one will ever see because it was so bad. It's a book that taught me a lot about writing. How dare you say this when I have food in my mouth? What? Well, that's how I... That's I how demand I'm... to read this novel. No, you don't. It is... It is... I can... It is... You Jer- send your mail to mail at reddickradio.com. No. no. It is Jerry... Tell Jared to let me read his book. It is Jerry Bruckheimer's Robin Hood. It's really bad. Okay? I love it's that. It's terrible. It's, I want to see Russell Crowe stab dudes in the face no, in literature form. It's... There's an exploding wagon. It's very bad. You don't. You don't What's need that. What's bad about exploding wagons? Wait, Lots. is it like a firework explosion? Because there's an exploding like... wagon in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. This is a different kind of exploding wagon. Wait, wait, wait. wait it's being charged. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on. Did you write the novelization of Robin Hood, Prince? I of wish Thieves? I had, because that would have been amazing. Is that as close to what this is? As no, it could this be? is this is like if Michael Bay directed Robin Hood, but he was like. He had better taste. It would have come out like this book. This is the first this book I ever D&D tried to write. This is the campaign I want to run. It's really terrible, but no, it, did, it taught me. It taught me a lot about writing. I'm sure. And it did. I went on and finished two thirds of another book I never tried to do anything. I about. demand to read all of your books immediately. Absolutely not. Bill Williamson, right. don't try anything stupid, and we won't do anything unkind. This is fun because Bill Williamson is both stupid and unkind. I love that you point that out. I mean, like that's that's the thing where it's like. Bill is the least self-aware person in the universe of Red Dead Redemption. And his quote is? I mean, look, look, don't start anything stupid and we won't do anything unkind. That is a very good, tough guy in the Old West quote. Yeah. At the same time, it is also emblematic of his fucking idiot nature. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't understand the fact that this is essentially, like, by his very existence, is unkind. <laughs> Charles Smith, new character. Charles Smith, new character who we uh, we met in the trailers. He uh, offers to teach uh, Arthur how to hunt if hmm. memory serves correctly. The um, amount of hell we've raised, we're owed some back. Is his quote. I think that's just a cool fucking line. I think that just sounds awesome. It's a, it sounds reflective. That's somebody who's yeah, looking at 
ideas like consequence, yes. guilt. Very much so. And like, you know, A, it's a great line. It's super cool. Uh, but it, it does sort of speak to that notion of, okay, we've been on the run. We've done these terrible things. And it's sort of like almost like a precursor to the idea of John talking to Bonnie in Red Dead Redemption 1. Mm-hmm. Where it's, you know, that, that idea of, we were bad people. We killed people we didn't like. Yeah. Um, I am not a good man. I'm not a hero. I am. There is no redemption for me. Okay. Um, despite the fact that he's actively seeking it. And I think that we'll see a little bit of that with Charles. You know, we know Charles. Um, Charles gave us a good indication that we may see some sort of street fight mechanic as a means of making money. Yeah. Um, unless Charles just happens to randomly get into a bunch of shirtless street fights. Uh, I, I believe it was Charles, anyways, that we saw in a trailer uh, getting into a back alley brawl. Did we break everything? No, everything's good. You sure? Did I chew too loudly in the microphone? You did not chew loudly in the microphone. Please continue. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I mean, we've seen Charles be someone who is willing to take up with Arthur when he's got work to do, whether or not it may be dangerous or not. Um, we know he has something to do with that train heist or yeah. uh, the, the fight, at least, on top of a train. Um, and it, I think it's funny that you managed to sort of print them out next to one another. Um, Charles and Micah here. Uh, Michael Bell is, if you remember from trailer number three, there's that really great little single person sort of exchange uh, where he says, you know, sons of Dutch makes, being that, or I guess that makes us brothers. Yeah. Sometimes brothers make mistakes. And then here we see Micah's quotation being, I believe there's winners and there's losers and nothing else besides. Which does he regard himself as? I mean, I think he tries to regard himself as a winner, but on the inside he thinks he's a loser. This picture of Micah Bell is some Wild Bill hiccup stuff. Yeah, very All much right. so. There's, there's some Wild Bill going on an here. An imposing man with imposing guns and a very imposing mustache. Yeah, that, that mustache, those crossed guns, that hair. I mean, he looks rough. And frightening. He looks legitimately yeah. like somebody you'd be scared to run into. Uh, yeah, I mean, and he, competent. Does, he does in all of the trailers and the gameplay video that we've seen, too. He offers to raise some hell with Arthur in the gameplay video. So what is what is this? Is this a gunfighter whose time has passed? Is it that archetype, this idea that no, you I mean, just we can't make a living a killing anymore? About Josiah Trelawney, and sometimes there are just people in the gang who are not good people. Yeah. And I think Micah is very much that archetype. Just a I bad feel, dude? I feel, well, I shouldn't... Not necessarily if in terms of Westworld, he's, he's a black hat. He hmm. does what he pleases, to whom he pleases, to, to reach the ends he wants. I see. And knowing what we know about some of the other characters, uh, showing back up like Edgar Ross, yeah. coming back from Red Dead Redemption 1, I feel like he, um, I feel like we may see Micah turn tail. Just break off and run? No, I, I mean actively betray the gang. Oh. That's, that's my take on Mike. Interesting. The moment that they showed us in that trailer, uh, in trailer number three, plus sort of the notion that they're portraying here with the fact that this is a world of absolutes. You can either win or you can lose, and I'm going to win, God damn it. <laughs> and that's how it is. By that's any rough. means necessary. That's rough. Um, I do not see Micah as a trustworthy member of the gang. Okay. He says that notion of outlaws to the end. 
I think it's outlaws to the end unless the government makes me a better offer. Ah. I do not trust this man as far as I can throw them. And considering that he is made out of pixels and I cannot physically grasp him, I cannot throw him very far. So an opportunist, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Opportunist. Um, Pearson. I, th- I think he's a smarter version of Bill Williamson. Oh, I like that. I think that's the way that I would Okay. Oh, I love he is violent and cruel and focused solely on his own gains. That's, that's the sense that I get about Micah Bell. So now we got Pearson. The people are happy and well-fed. I think perhaps we'll be okay. I think he just, he just he, he's found himself here, and he just wants to make it. Got a few things with Pearson here. First off, one name, Pearson. Yep. Like Uncle, yep. Pearson. Mm-hmm. I'm Pearson. Now, one of these guys is Reverend such and such. Yeah, I, I feel Re- like that's more so, you know, I guarantee, that I'll bet Pearson's first name is like Albert or yeah. something. I think Archibald. Cornelius, Archibald Cornelius, Cornelius Pearson. Too, I feel like Cornelius. Archibald, do you think? Archibald Arch- could be Archibald Pearson. But I feel like you know Pearson, like these characters who who don't have first names, they definitely have first names. So Pearson looks like me if I didn't cut my hair and if I shaved my beard but kept my mustache. He's holding. I I, I can't tell if it's a cleaver or a trowel. It looks to me like a trowel. Um, so is he? No, gardening? wait, no, it's a cleaver because yeah. it's, it's got the hole at the top. So you is he? I assume he's the cook. Pearson is the cook at your camp, yeah. yeah. Um, in the demo that we saw back in the spring, he basically was the, not quest giver. Um, what I like about this is that there are no real quest givers. Uh, yeah. It's just sort of people who need things, and you can choose or not choose to help them. Um, Pearson basically said, hey, camp is doing fine, but we will be hungry again if you don't get food by probably tonight or tomorrow. Um, and... Yeah, he's what, what I think is interesting about Pearson is that he is clearly in with this group of people for the long haul. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw him in our demo, which I assume probably takes place towards the beginning of the game, um, because I don't think they would show us that much from the end game. Okay. Um, I don't... But at the same time, we then also see him in what I feel to be towards the end of the story where they've all sort of had to run to the mountains, run to this cabin where you can see Hosea and Dutch clearly facing off against the rest of the group with Arthur sort of looking on with that side eye and, and toward the end of the uh, trail number three. And Hosea's still, or not Hosea, Jesus, Pearson's still there. Yeah. He's, he's one of the few who made it. Mm-hmm. Whether or not everyone else has abandoned them or died, assuming we're jumping ahead, as assuming, far as assuming that we are jumping ahead, that we are because that's seeing, hard. Preview, they're going to be so careful about what they show us. Oh, but. I'm sure, and I'm sure that all that half of what we've seen in trailers is designed strictly as misdirection to make me think I know everything about a fucking story before it happens. Um, and I truly hope that that's the case. That I'm incredibly surprised by all of this. But Pearson seems to be finding himself with these group of people. And I don't necessarily think it's because he necessarily yeah. believes in the cause of the gang, but I think it's more so because he just doesn't have anywhere else to go. Okay. Um, Susan Grimshaw. I swear half of you would just rot in your own filth if nobody kept you in check. Susan, nothing in hands. Mm-hmm. Arms crossed. Mm-hmm. Looks like a woman of maybe middle age. I would guess probably mid to late 40s. Got a scowl going on. Big old hair. She's momming it. She's, she's kind of mominate. she's kind of mominate here, and that statement is kind of a mominate statement. Exactly. That's why that's what makes me say it. Uh, I feel like Susan, Su- Jesus, Susan Grimshaw. I feel like Susan is the kind of character who 
while she may not necessarily make big decisions for the gang, mm-hmm. she sort of informs how the rest of them should live. Like if, if, if you, I feel like of all these people, aside from maybe Dutch, mm-hmm. the worst person for your own sake you could cross is <laughs> Susan. Susan. Not because she'll tan your hide or anything like that, but because, I mean, you, have you ever disappointed your mom? Like, I mean, like, not... So you really not, are leaning into the maternal on this. I you think, think so, that's yeah. I, th- I think she's very much like a caretaker, an organizer, who is clearly fucking fed up of not necessarily cleaning after these people, but I'm not sure. Um, I, I like I like that thesis. I, again, trying to construct a person's personality from one photo and one sentence. It's a know. fun challenge. We're though, chasing right? we're chasing fortune cookies here. Oh yeah, point. I'm but, very much a dog chasing cars right now. But I, I really enjoy it. Um, I have Look at that sandwich. Are you eating that sandwich up? Mm-hmm. Cool. I I really should have just let you eat this before the show, but it's uh-huh. so much more fun to watch you have to You're eat it as we get there. I, I am a monster. Child. No, I. I speculate and wonder how much depth we're, this is a character that of all these folks I want to know more about. This is the one that the quote reveals the least to me. Really? Yeah. Uh, it tells me something maternal. That's where I lean. But when she talks about nobody keeping you in check, what does that mean? When, why? How can she do that? How does she keep them in check? Because I, I think there's got to be more for a group I feel, of people I, this I strong spirited more than bad. Grabbing thing. somebody by the ear and dragging them through camp. One hundred percent. I think it might go deeper than that. I'm, 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 look, for people like this, I'm sure it does. Yeah, and that, that's what I'm wondering about. Molly O'Shea. Molly O'Shea, who you're, I don't think is that Irish. You're playing a dangerous game. See, this is the one that's the most cryptic to me. Okay, so when I read dangerous game, my mind goes gambler instantly. Like that's oh, yeah. that's where my head went. Like uh, so, if the archetype of the female gambler. The the uh, have you ever watched um, uh, Kurt Russell? Or, but not Kurt Russell. Jeez. Have you ever watched Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster in Gunfight at the OK Corral? No. Okay, so the, you know the archetype of the upper crust female Western gambler, mm, mm-hmm. uh, and a a, a, a woman in quote unquote. Well, I never. Uh, no, no, not at all. Uh, a a a woman making her way in quote unquote a man's world, a, a oh, misogynistic okay. uh, uh, universe where women are largely pushed away from many vocations. Yep. Uh, somebody that's made their way anyway. That character is is kind of an archetype in a couple of, of, of prominent westerns, and I wonder if Who Molly's following that. Oh, uh, Jodie Foster. There it is. Yeah. I wanted uh, to say Sally Fields. And I was like, nope, that's not her. And I like that. I like the character archetype very much. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy I enjoy that character in in westerns and in other places as well. And I, I like the idea of Molly in that. But I'm blocking onto game and onto the attire, which is rather upper crust. She's holding a fan. Right. So, I mean, she might be the sort of upper crust guy you're talking about. You know, again, while I love the idea that we're sort of pulling from just the images, just what they're showing here based on the character model and based on the quote. Yeah, but we're not outside of context completely here. I mean, you've, right. you've so we know that long. Molly is, I don't really know what to call it. Jesse's girl? She's Dutch's paramour. Um, and she's, I think, both in the expression that she has in her face and also in the quotation of you're playing a dangerous game. She's sort of over it. Oh, Molly's going to die. My, your Dutch's girlfriend, Molly's dead. You think she's toast? She's not yeah. going to bail? Toast. I think she's going to bail. I don't, toast. I don't, think, she, I don't think she'll see the, the proverbial gallery. I, I, I think we are lucky if two of these people get away. I think this is a Grapes of Wrath situation. Well, I mean, we know at least three of them get away. Yeah, but Four. not that, what I mean is like outside of the oh, ones we know the, about. Like, I, I think this is one of those like everybody going to die horribly in different ways. 
either picking one another off Hateful Eight style or being picked off by the authorities or dying at the hands of a savage West that simply killed people just because they went outside and forgot to shake their Maybe. boots out because there was a scorpion in them. And yeah, I, I, I think I've, I feel Molly's dead. I feel like some of them will definitely see that fate. I feel like potentially Molly uh, and uh, th- like if we had to take bets right now on characters we think will live versus characters we think will die. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bet that, let's just say who lives. I think Molly might live. She's a might for me, 50-50. Shot. Wait, are you going to go through all of these? No, just real quick. I'm going to say Molly, Molly, Molly lives 50-50 shot. Um, Susan walks away. Um, Wait. Michael Trent's No, we need, we, you know what? We're going to stop right. We need to make a board. If we're gonna do this. We're doing brackets. We're gonna do brackets. All right. All right. We're gonna uh, we're gonna think, we're gonna go lives. back to this and do brackets. I think Tilly lives. Because I, I want to go home at some point tonight. I think Swanson dies. Look at this this madman next anyways, to me. Anyways, no, sorry. Okay, so th- there you go. Those are my. We're gonna make brackets. Um, anyways, Molly, I think will see the end of life, not with Dutch's gang. Molly dies horribly. All right, that's fine. That's fine. I think you're definitely right in the sense of people will probably die in one of those people is Hosiah. Oh, you think Hosiah's dead? I think Hosiah's fucking tough. Hosiah Matthews, who wish he'd acquired wisdom at less of a price? Well, so here's, again, I feel like this quote is exceptionally fitting for the, the notion of Hosiah that I have in my own head. Expound. So Hosiah, we know, is quote-unquote Dutch's best friend. Oh. Which, let's, let's be real. Hosiah thinks Dutch is his best friend. Yeah. There is no chance in hell that this doddering old man is actually Dutch's best friend and most trusted confidant. Do you think Sorry, Dutch, Dutch has friends? No, of course not. Yeah. He uses people. He has right. pawns. He does not have friends. Um, I think he does have people that there is trust there, but I don't think it's anything more than perfunctory. Um, yeah. Hosiah will 100% die because, because of this being quote. His the greatest lesson that he has to learn is that sometimes people who you think were doing you favors will absolutely fuck you over, which is a hard lesson to learn. To be fair, um, but I think based on everything that we've seen, because every time we've seen Hosea in trailers, almost he's been expounding on the glory days of him and Dutch as young yeah. men, how they met. There were two grifters who tried to rob each other. What a fun romantic story. What a hilarious way for them. This is a man who gets betrayed and disillusioned at the very end. No, this is a man who gets betrayed and betrayed and betrayed and betrayed and betrayed and keeps going back because he believes that someone is truer than they actually are. It me. Likewise, same fucking here. Um... It, again, it comes down to that scene in the cabin in the third trailer. Yeah. You've got Arthur off to the side, kind of looking at them. Clearly, some some kind of conversation is happening. I yeah. assume it's a, we've been on the run, we're starving, what the fuck are we going to do kind of conversation. And Dutch and Hosiah are both, well, Dutch is of the camp of, y'all just, you know, stick with me, I'll get you through this. He, well, he has no intention of helping any of these people except for himself. But Hosiah is right there next to him, pointing a gun at folks, or holding a lantern, I guess, I, I think. I don't really recall what the exact image is off the very top of my head. But Hosiah's there next to Dutch. And even Arthur at this point, even Arthur looks at Dutch, a man who has raised him since he was a fucking child, yeah. being like, dude, what the fuck are you thinking right now? What the yeah. hell is going on? But Hosiah is still fucking there with blind commitment to this guy. And you know, within 30 seconds of that scene starting, 
there could be a gun in the back of his head pulling I, the trigger. Uh, yeah, is this is this like a Jack Nicholson Bob gun situation? For yeah, Batman? absolutely. Yeah. I 100% feel that Josiah <laughs> is going to meet his end at the shot in the Dutch. back or the front by Dutch as an easy ploy to escape the law. Let's talk about Dutch. Dutch Vanderland, their last Very guy. Very last on the list. They're chasing us hard because we represent everything that they fear. That's the quote. What a grandiose fucking sentence. Yeah, they're chasing us hard because we represent everything that they fear. He's holding a knife. He's the only one that's holding a weapon of that intimacy, savagery. Both. Yeah. Um, um, knife wounds are nasty, nasty things. But well, they're chasing us hard. That's the world, I assume. That's everybody that's not them, right? I think specifically in this case, they're referring to the law. Um, I think he, I think you bring up an interesting point with the knife being a more intimate or brutal weapon. Um, You can shoot folks in the back, but it's a lot worse when you stab somebody in the back. And I feel like that's what we're going to see a lot of from Dutch. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying Um, Dutch is literally going to stab versus shoot. I'm saying making an expression about his character with this. Pieces. Oh, you get shoots John in the binocular face. I mean, exactly. Um, he, look, I don't think he has an aversion to guns. I think it's more symbolic. Than exactly. The character it says something um, about the character. He, the knife has has long since been a, a symbolic weapon of betrayal. Yeah. Um, at two brute. If you look at confrontational weapons, they're swords, they're staffs, they're bows. They're never knives or daggers. Yep. Daggers are always reserved for close personal intimate yeah um and from you know, behind. The friends of caesar exactly that's what i said at uh, two bridges exactly. so yeah um john cassis has a mean and hungry look he thinks too much such men are dangerous hot damn you, you did what now read your shakespeare i do love my, um, my my julius caesar so they're chasing us hard because we present everything that they fear i feel like dutch is there are a, a few folks in this motley crew that i think we could classify as the archetypal charlatan but none so much as Dutch. Yeah, um, I think and and the and the in denial charlatan, like the the non self aware charlatan. See, Does, this this quote to me is very much self aware. Does he knows that he's that he's full of it? I so again the, the goes crazy notion to me hmm. is less about actually going insane and more so about panic, because when you panic, yeah. you don't fully think things through. And Dutch, that we know of. The sense that I get from Dutch is that he is nothing if not a meticulous planner and a conniving individual. He always has plans. He always knows just what to say. He is charismatic in the sense that he can get people to follow him because he is careful in his organization to make sure that they have regimented success. Mm-hmm. Like Even if they fail two out of five times, that's still three successes, which means yeah. they're beating the odds, which right. means they're on top. Um and in this case, you know, they're chasing us hard because we represent everything that they fear. That to me rings as a quote where it's not reassurance. It's, it's a, not necessarily desperate, but it is a, a statement that is made to someone whose faith is wavering. I'm really, I'm really intrigued by this, this aspect of, of the Mad King mm-hmm. and the renegade subculture. Um, yeah. Do you know much about the Kingdom of Jones? Mm, like Indiana? No, Mississippi. No, um, during the clearly, I do not. Okay, well, during the American Civil War, there was a, a county in Mississippi that rebelled against the Confederacy. 
Great way to go. Wait, yeah. should I be saying great way to go, guys? It's an interesting story. Okay. Um, Are they doing I, it for the right reasons? It takes, it, you got to dig deep on that one. But Fair. at least, at Maybe least. Maybe way to go, guys. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is that effectively a, a rebellious subculture in the midst of an organized corruption. Okay. And whether or not that itself was a moral imperative that mm. took place within that community is a very interesting question that's worth worth exploring in some depth. Interesting. I'm really interested. The fact, even they have tried and tried and tried to get through my head in this marketing that this is this gang is a community. That's mm -hmm. a thriving that's thing. That's your family. But the fact that they have given me a vast ensemble cast of people to care about in different mm -hmm. ways, all yep. of whom from an image and a quote, I'm able to ascertain or speculate on certain details, all of whom I'm going to spend an extensive amount of open world time with, mm -hmm. and most of whom I think I'm going to lose. Oh, yes, hands down. I mean, you, you, we see it in that third trailer. Like, it goes from a big group of people in that one wide shot towards the beginning to a very small few in that cabin. Oh, I mean, the by the time we're at Red Dead Redemption, we got... Oh, it's maybe three of Dutch, them. Javier, Bill, and then... We know about Abigail, Dutch, Javier, John, Abigail, and Jack. Jack. Six people yeah. out of 25. Everybody else we... Oh, and Uncle. Yeah, and Uncle. Seven. So the rest of these folks, who knows? Maybe their fates are kinder. Um, I really do think there's going to be a lot of tragedy in this game. I, I, I do, I'm going to stick with, I think Arthur survives. Uh, I, I hope so. I would very much hope so. I, I don't I think, think they real, pulled the same trick twice. Concern, or not concern, but like the one thing that I hope not to see is tragedy for tragedy's sake. Um, I feel like all too often we see in video games especially, but also movies and TV and sometimes books, um, a supporting character get killed off to give a semblance of emotional... See Game, game of Thrones. Great example. Um, in video games, Carmine from yeah. Gears of War. Exactly. Now, obviously, like in 3 and 4, that became a running gag. Yeah. But like in 1 and 2, they wanted you to feel for Carmine. And then they would just be like, nah, fuck it, Carmine's dead now. I think, I, I could be wrong, but I think that while there'll be a lot of death in this story, I, it'll be death that makes contextual sense exactly. when you've got this group and of people running. And it, 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 that's what it is for me, is, is the big difference between what this could be and, and you know what I don't want to see. No, I, I bring this up every every month on any podcast. Mind you watch Steven Universe? I've just started, actually. So I'm Steven, like two episodes. Steven Universe has what makes that show amazing is it's at like 150 episodes in they've killed one character in 150 that meant episodes something, didn't they it did but beyond that death which really did mean something they have taught me that there are way worse things you can do to characters you love than kill them oh of course and that's what i suspect rockstar has already killed the man we loved and yes, there'll be yeah. more death, but I think they know better ways to torture us than just killing someone. Oh, I don't disagree with that. I and think, I, think I think they're very adept. There are much worse ways to hurt you than, than yeah, kill somebody. For sure. But the good news is we don't have to wait too long to find it. No, look at this. And we got through them. And hey, it's only been like two hours. So, oh my God, uh, really? Is that it? Oh, yeah. Like we've been like, here for like I know. Yeah, well, I mean, that's because we hung out and talked before the show. Um, we, we did have a, a hey, hand. Am I still reigning poker champion? Uh, yeah, you're still the reigning nice. poker champion. Exactly. Look at this guy right here. Reigning poker champion. And humble to beat. Yep. And, and humble to beat. Ladies humble and gentlemen, most humble. God knows why you're still watching or listening, <laughs> but you are. Uh, you can reach us at mail at reddeadradio.com. That's mail at reddeadradio.com. Petition to let me read Jared's books. Uh, petition to let him not read 
any of my read unfinished your books. Read your no, books. There are read your there books. are three read your books. Three long unfinished manuscripts. Uh, yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? There's a trilogy. Okay, so one. No, they're not a trilogy. They're completely unwritten. Oh no 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 no. They're a hundred percent. One correct. one is one is a Robin Hood novel. Love it. Super into it. All Second about it. one is uh, is a horror novel. Robin Hood horror. I love it. Third one is a uh, children's fantasy novel. None of what you've done. I have to read them. I tend to lean in. I've that. Become, I'm starting a book club about this. Not, none of them are done. They're all, but each one's better than the last. Great. Awesome. I can't wait to read all of them. None of them succession. are done. None of them are finished. Okay, They're all well, you're just going to be like, who are these people? Anyways. Working? I got nothing after, anyways. That was, that was, that was over. Red Dead Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching. <laughs> thank you for listening. See you next week. We're almost there. Bye.